disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. The CDC is lying to you about something very important that could affect the distribution of the vaccine. And if they are lying to you about that, and if government officials are lying to you about that, what else are they lying to you about? I was recently called a flat earther because I posted a picture, or excuse me, I posted a link to a New York Times article on Facebook that talked about how some people were having a rare blood disorder after they had the vaccine. They weren't necessarily saying it was because. It was a correlation, not causation. But they were putting that out there as a question. I posted the link and I said, I'm going to post this right here. By the way, take vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, exercise, drop processed foods, and sugar from your diet. And I was called a flat earther who questioned science for doing that. Guys, this kind of collectivist herd mentality where the sheep are all running off the cliff is a dangerous place to be. Science is never done, ever. So when people say the science is in, well, the science is never in. That's the point of science. And we have a vaccine, which I think, you know what? And by the way, I just want to say this. I am not anti-vaccine. In fact, I am. my dad is almost 80. I want him to get it. We're trying to fake, make sure that he gets to the front of the line. He can get it. We want, And he's a pastor, so we want him to get it because he's a frontline worker in that sense, right? He should get the vaccine, and I want him to get it. The risk versus reward. But for young, healthy people, I'm not sure yet personally, this is me personally, that the risk versus reward is going to pay off because I'm young and healthy and have a strong immune system. And I'm doing these other things to mitigate the possibility as much as I can or at least mitigate the effects if I get it. I'd rather my father get vaccinated. I'm not anti-vaccine. But this vaccine came together faster than any other vaccine in history. It deserves to have questions asked about it. That's what science does. And while it is a marvel of science, it still deserves to have questions asked about it. For those of you who want to jump in and be the first adopter, go for it. Go for it. But do not look at those of us who stand back and say, let's wait and see because this has never been done before. Let's ask some vigorous questions. Don't call us anti-vaxxers. Don't call us flat earthers. That's not what this is. We are not anti-vaccine and we are not anti-this vaccine. We are pro-rigorous science and questioning. So we're going to talk about this with our guest today, Congressman Thomas Massey, in depth because he has the expose. He did it himself. He's not talking about a story. He's talking about uh, that that some other network did. He's talking about something that he did and found out himself. And he has the tapes to prove it. We're also going to talk about the Second Amendment and the Democrats' outright blazing attack on it. Brazen attack. Blazing is not the word. Brazen attack on it. So we're going to get in depth on that and national reciprocity and several other things. So I want you to just tune into this, sit down. It's a little bit long. Uh, but it's worth every minute of it, okay? So we're going to get to that right away. Coming up right uh, right next. First of all, though, I want to welcome our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They're awesome. 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville. If you are uh, looking for your dream kitchen like we were, do this. Um, I don't talk about businesses that I don't actually do business with. 
Okay, and we used Louisville cabinets and countertops to do our kitchen when we were in Louisville. Before we moved to Colorado, our house sold in a day. And I am confident that the beauty and the craftsmanship and the work that they put into our kitchen helped it sell so quickly. If you're a do-it-yourselfer and you don't want to do necessarily the whole uh, design process, they've got beautiful, beautiful cabinets in stock, high quality, super cool stuff. You can see them on their website at LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Check it out. Um, if you're a, a contractor, they've got that as well. And in any type of counter surface that you're looking for, we did quartz when we worked with them and it was very low maintenance, a little more expensive, but it was very low maintenance. And I was very happy to have had that product. But if granite's what you're looking for, or even some other type of solid surface, they've got it all for you. George, Kelly, Michelle, they're the designers on staff. They're waiting for your call at 502-930-3304 or for you to stop by their beautiful showroom at 6200 Hit Lane right on the border of Odom County and Louisville. If you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, or Odom County, or northern Kentucky, these are your guys, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. All right, without any further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey. Are you in Washington or are you at the farm today? I'm actually in my studio three miles from the farm. Okay, awesome. I love the farm. The farm yeah, is the off farm the is grid. Awesome. Yeah, so. yeah. Mm. No so one I have knows to, exactly where it is, and we'll never tell. I had to so. come three miles to get to the grid to speak <laughs> with you. It's so great. It's so great. Um, there's a lot I kind of wanted to go over, and there's a couple things in, in particular that we wanted to cover. But can we start with, I think it's HB 127, um, this ludicrous bill. I, I want to say it's Sheila Jackson yep. Lee that, that yep. proposed it. It is the perhaps the worst gun bill I've ever seen ever in my life. But it's also, you know, it's easy to make fun of it. But to be honest with you, it lines up almost exactly with what President Joe Biden promised he would eventually do if he got the presidency. So, I mean, goofy as it is, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. They could put a, a serious effort behind this, is it? No, it's not. And, um, you know, it's art of the deal. Yeah. She may get some portion of this bill as an amendment to another bill. Uh, it is ridiculous. It's over the top. But the question is, how many Democrats in the House of Representatives would say that? Probably right. not too many. Mm. Um, it will. It's been referred to the Judiciary Committee. And I have some news I am on the Judiciary Committee yes. this Congress. Yes. So one of the reasons I wanted to get on that committee is it has jurisdiction of all the Second Amendment issues. How did you – hold on a second. Not to, I don't want to dive yep. into this for a second. How did you get on the, the, the Judiciary Committee? Because that's, that's a pretty big committee, and you, sir, have made some pretty big stands yes. that have rattled the establishment. So how is it they are now turning to Thomas Massey – uh, which is great. I love it because you need to be on these key committees. But, you know, people said your political career was dead in the water. Yes. You'd lose all of your committee ships. There were, you would just be this sort of flitter flutter on the wall. And that's not been the case at all. No, I went from most hated man in Washington, D.C. to Judiciary Committee yeah. in nine months. That's awesome. Uh, I convinced them they need me. Right. Because here's what's happening. Big tech has lobbyists in Washington, D.C., and they're trying to destroy the patent system, the U.S. patent system. Hmm. Now, why would big tech, and for instance, Google, Apple, um, Microsoft to a large degree, 
uh, why would they want to destroy the patent system? Well, I, that's that's I mean, that's a good question, except that it seems as though they they want everything and anything they can get their hands on. Well, here's the <laughs> the way these companies grow. Once you get to that size, it's hard for them to innovate. I mean, they're giant corporations right, right. now. And people show up and work in cubicles. And <laughs> now that Google is so big that you probably have people coming to work at Google that aren't excited about Google. Right. So the the innovation in America, a lot of it still happens in garages or, you know, companies of 5, 10, 20 people. Yeah. And when those folks come up with a new idea and they take it to a trade show, well, then you've got the big tech companies circulating. They see it. They say, oh, we'll just steal we'll it. That. <laughs> we'll take that. And and the little guys, unless they have a patent, they have no chance. Right. So what's happened is there's been a push by big tech. It was successful right before it got to Congress. I was able to thwart it um, after, you know, they're continuing to push uh, measures uh, bills to dilute the patent system. I was able to stop one of those bills in Congress, and I have 30 patents and one pending. And they uh, they said, "Okay, well, we kind of need you on the Judiciary Committee." <laughs> so because it has jurisdiction over patents, right? Right. So, anyways, I it's more work for me, right? You know, I've moved from the Oversight Committee to the Judiciary Committee. Both of those are are very exciting committees. Right. I'll tell you that, but uh, and I'm still on the Transportation Committee, but I'm excited to be on Judiciary because it also has jurisdiction over industrial hemp. Oh, cool! For instance, the Fourth Amendment, the First Amendment, basically the Judiciary Committee <laughs> claims jurisdiction over all of the laws. Right. That you know, Constitution, for instance, that's a subcommittee. Crime is a subcommittee. Interestingly, the Crime Subcommittee, which I'm on is the one that handles the Second Amendment okay. and hemp mm. <laughs> because they start out with the notion that it's a crime to grow Which marijuana or to own a gun, yeah. right, and then they work back from there. But anyways, it's going to be a great committee. Jim Jordan's on there. Matt Gates is on there. Andy Biggs. Now, on the other side, you've got Sheila Jackson Lee, Eric Squalwell, uh, Jerry Nadler. Wow. They, uh, the left put their craziest kooks on the – I mean, Hakeem, Hakeem Jeffries, Corey Bush. It's a who's who. It's a who's who of nut jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's insane that they would that they would do that. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. No wonder it's wow. Um okay. <laughs> By the way, I'm not sure if you're talking about my side of the aisle or the other side no, of the aisle, but I, I'll agree that there are nut jobs on there. Well, there's probably there's probably some on both sides. I mean yes. I'm not sure you're stable. I mean right. to be honest with you, it's just kind of why I like you. So stable stable uh, genius. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Well let's okay, let's circle back then to the, the second amendment thing. Yes. Um because that's what I always tell people is I've I've talked to a lot of people. I as you know, I work in the firearms training industry and I've mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of people that have been like this isn't gonna this is so ridiculous and I'm like no but a part of it will because mm -hmm. that that's what you like you said the art of the deal um you ask for something audacious and you get something really bad you know it may not be as audacious as eight hundred dollar tax uh, per firearm but what we have to really guard against are a couple of the key provisions in this bill so let's kind of walk through what it does just so people understand it uh, it would require uh, first of all a firearms registry which currently is against federal law. Um, 
it would require which by the way is a precursor it's i'm, I'm going to say it's a necessary but not sufficient condition for confiscation later correct. on correct correct um it's why the left has wanted one for so long yeah uh, they want to know who has what so they can come and get it um and then it requires a prohibitive tax on firearms and existing um, what you would call high-capacity magazines. I would just call almost enough ammo, but they would call high-capacity ma- magazines. But um, And then it requires you to register, I believe, or to get a background check to purchase ammo, uh, which would have people already, you can't get ammo, but it would have people waiting <laughs> days to get it because they'd have to have a background check. Uh, it, it is... It is as draconian as draconian can get. It bans a number of types of weapons that are, quote-unquote, scary-looking. Um, so assault weapons, which can, depending on how you write the definition of an assault weapon, it can be anything from an AR-15 to a uh, even my um, my 9mm um, uh, Springfield Armory uh, XDM, just depending on, on how you want to define it, how broadly. So this is, this is a, the, again, this is President Biden's, it's exactly he basically he wants to leave us with a shotgun and then tell us to shoot through the door mm-hmm. or sh- shoot up in the air yeah. as he told Jill yeah two shots into the air mm-hmm. that's real safe yep um so what has been like I mean do, how what do you what do you think we should fear about this bill if anything um all of it now I will if it surely if it, there's enough moderate Democrats in the House and Democrats that are vulnerable in gun friendly areas, especially given the extreme growth of the gun community in the last year, that they, that that it doesn't have enough to pass as is. But here's what they're doing. Remember, my office is circled with razor wire and soldiers right now, mm-hmm. as are all the Democrats. So they don't know offices. what we think. Right. So what Nancy Pelosi is doing with those soldiers there is to project the image that the capital of the most powerful country on the planet is under threat of imminent attack from 75 million people who voted for Donald Trump who have Bibles and guns. And they're called, they're going to use this term domestic terrorist. Right. And uh, the problem is that their definition of that is so broad that they're now even questioning the credentials of those in the military. Wow. And they are using that presence to project an image every night on the news that things are dangerous and, you know, the capital could be <laughs> overthrown at any point. Right. By the way, they keep talking about an armed insurrection on January 6th. You know, produce the list of guns that were discharged on January 6th. Right, right. Because I'm not aware of any. Right. But this is, so they're using that to motivate it, but they're also scaring the Democratic colleagues. Like mm-hmm. There are Democrats now who have bodyguards inside of the perimeter. Nancy Pelosi has said that the enemy is within. Right. So she's trying to project... She's trying Fear. to project that there's that that these Democrat Congress people could actually end up getting shot and killed by yes. other Democratic or excuse me by other Congress people from the yep. other side of the aisle, which is not true. Not true. Um, but it it helps to create that sense that yes, we need to disarm the people. So it's it's become Congress is no longer in that sense responsive to the people. It's it's just 
it's us against them, and they they see at least half the people as as enemy of the state, essentially. Yes, and that's so that's what she's that's doing a terrifying to, prospect to motivate this bill. And I suspect probably the thing you need to worry about the most. Uh, it got some momentum during Trump's presidency, but it never passed. Were the red flag laws? Yeah, uh, and this is a violation of due process, just like the impeachment right now. Or just like what they did to Marjorie Taylor Greene, there's no due process. And so they have no regard for due process. But they're going to say that because of things you might have said on the Internet or because of your bank records or your phone records, where you were at a certain point in time, now you're on a watch list. Right. And they're going to take your guns and then adjudicate it through some bureaucratic process. So you think the scariest thing in this is a push for more red laws, red flag flag laws, laws, and those red flag laws being used instead of just somebody who's literally uh, crazy and about to shoot their domestic partner, uh, they're going to expand that out to anyone who has political views with whom the Democrats disagree. I think so. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they got pretty they got pretty close to it during Trump's presidency. Right. And then the, the attention or the focus of the country moved to something else. It was actually they. They got off the red flag laws when they got on the uh, Ukraine mm. yeah. bit and decided to try and impeach Trump. I remember being down in the basement with Adam Schiff and because that the first impeachment began in the oversight and intel committees in the skiff. So I was down there and I remember turning to one of my Republican colleagues and I said, you know what? It's being three floors under the Capitol and sitting through this nonsense is the price we pay to not get gun control. Right. I'll do it. Right. 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 And, and it did. They took their eye off the ball. They moved on. They got, they were so enraged with Trump derangement syndrome that they forgot about gun control. They forgot about all the momentum. They almost had president Trump talked into it. Really? Yeah, I mean, he I, was I mean, I'm saying, not surprised because he this was. Is, I I talked to him. I said, "Look, um, you know, we don't need any red flag laws." This was he came to Kentucky for Bevan, right? And I had a chance there, and I was like, "I said, stay strong on the Second Amendment." And he says, "I didn't. I didn't say, hey, why are you saying right. things about red flag?" I said, "I appreciate you staying strong," and he said, "Oh, yeah, I had to say some things to let the pressure off about." You know, the red flag stuff, right. he said, but we don't plan on doing any of that. The problem is when you, when you give them hope, they right. get hope they get and hope, they yeah. pursue it. Well, and he's, but his strategy worked in that case, which yeah. he placated them with some words, and they and then they moved on to impeach him for something else, right. and they forgot about it. So I think they're going to roll that back out. I think you need to be watching out for that. Yeah, um, well, and I warned people, too. I mean, I'm not surprised that Trump might have – even considered though because he was an anti-gun guy before he was a pro-gun guy um he was he was uh not fan of assault weapons uh, he was you know he was never he was always he was never anti-second amendment you know what i mean but when he was a quote-unquote new yorker uh he was fine with gun control um so i was always pleased that he made it such a strong centerpiece of his campaign but i'm also not surprised that he was he was uh, malleable at the margins on that issue. Mm-hmm. So, and and in some ways, you know, 
I was thinking about this yesterday because the, the the impeachment, the second impeachment trial of Trump started yesterday, and and part of me was like, you know, I cannot believe this one side of the mouth call for unity and this other side of the mouth, you know, they're so. Uh, I, I there's I saw something on Twitter the other day that that someone who named their account uh, accountability first then unity. So there's they have decided that unity to them means when everyone acquiesces to everything we want then we'll have unity that does it doesn't mean coming together with people who have different points of view than you so That's i was correct. like why be so divisive with this trial but then again now that you say this i'm kind of like well if trump's going to be the buffer for the next 3 weeks <laughs> you know <laughs> what i mean let him focus on him but is that even constitutional you're a constitutional expert is it even constitutional to try a guy who's no longer in office I don't think it is. John Roberts doesn't think it is. I mean, he, yeah. I, I mean, he. I don't know. Did he say as much publicly, or was it he just said, the fact that he, he said, said it virtually? Back? He said virtually nothing publicly. But right. if you read the Constitution, it says that the and he sent chief, it back to the yeah right. He it didn't said the consider. Chief Justice will preside when the President is you know being, being tried. Being, for he was like, no, I'm not doing that. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. And the presumption is, well, the President's not being tried, right? So I, I don't think it's constitutional. Uh, back on the gun thing, before we leave that, yeah. I, I would say the only thing that's going to moderate the Democrats in the next two years is they don't want to lose the majority in the midterms. Right. They've got a special situation where they control the House, the Senate, and the White House. Right. And if they lose the House, then they lose two years of opportunity. Right. So I think in these first two years, that's going to moderate their voice on gun control a little bit. Yeah. Um, and what you may see, though, is President Biden doing things by executive order. Right. And the, and the really dangerous thing here is that President Trump set a precedent with the, the bump stock ban. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before right which just by executive order i mean there were there there is a precedent for adding some firearms to the national firearms registry under the nfa right uh like street sweepers or, or some variant of shotgun they added mm -hmm. but i this was before i was in congress but i believe they did that legislatively mm. and not through executive order so I'm worried about executive orders because Biden knows he's got four years. The House knows they've only got two years until they're up for election again. Right. And didn't and she's vice president. But she, when she was running for president, didn't Kamala Harris say that on her first day in office or her first 100 days, she was going to do an executive order to ban AR-15s, which people said you can't do that. But that does you can't do that doesn't stop them from doing it. Well, and the best thing we've got on our side since the 1994 so-called assault weapons ban, you know, there were less than a million AR-15s in the United States at that right. point. Right. And now they're probably at least 10 million. Right. And there's been no increase in crime with them. Right. And there wasn't a lot of crime with them prior to that. Um, it would have. They were probably. I, I don't know the exact numbers. I would guess there were maybe half a million. They they weren't that common. Right. If you it's, remember, it's the most. It's the most ridiculous demonization of a firearm because no one uses them for what they say we use them for. Mm -hmm. They don't. They're fun guns. They and they are small caliber. They're small caliber. Um, you know, they they constantly as, as attribute them to armor piercing ammo, but that's not necessarily true. Um. 
They're small caliber. They're frankly, I you know, I wouldn't hunt with one. Maybe varmints. You know what I mean? Like if I was having to hunt varmints to protect a crop or something, I might hunt with with those. Um, it's a great home defense weapon, depending on how you look at it. Some people would argue with that, but you know, hey, your choice, your choice. But for like a small person like my wife, who um, doesn't want a lot of recoil but needs plenty of ammo if there's multiple attackers. Mm-hmm. You know, in the city we live in, we've had a rash of break-ins with multiple attackers. They come in military style, two in the back, two in the front. And you, so you're telling me that all I get is a, six, a six-shot revolver to defend against that, right? It, when, when they're going to have whatever they want because they're criminals and they're not going to obey the law, that's bull. You know? It's also, <laughs> I talked to a Boy Scout troop yesterday or the day before, and I reminded them it's not the bill of wants <laughs> or, the, or the bill of needs. Right. It's the Bill of Rights. Right. Right. We do have two strong it was the Heller case and then also uh the the McDonald case. Yeah, the McDonald case later. I think that that uh, basically assured that you could actually have a concealed carry in Washington DC as hard as they try not to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Um we have those going for us in terms of the protection of that portion of the second amendment. But yeah, I'm very concerned about capacity of magazines and very concerned about you know, particular types of firearms. And I'm very concerned about a registry. Now, the registry, the, the federal law against a registry is is a law, not an amendment. So they could change that if they had the votes, right? They could change and say, yep, we're going to have a federal registry, right? We're, we're, yes. We have no constitutional protection against, um, against the federal registry. Yes, they could do that for oh, sure. God, how can we get constitution? We need two things. We need the reciprocity bill, the national reciprocity bill. And we need uh, a protection of re- against the registry constitutionally. Those are two amendments we need ASAP. Um, you know, interesting case. So the Heller decision, which was later incorporated into the states by the McDonald decision, is the right to own a gun. But D.C. then deprived Heller and everybody else of the right to bear right. a gun. Right. And so there was a a case called Palmer and a, another case since then Palmer they won Palmer which and DC had to issue concealed carry permits but they decided to do it only if you had a good reason right well that was a de facto ban because they said nobody had a good reason right so there was a, a, a case called Wren versus DC after that and they lost that so they had to get rid of their good reason so DC became shall issue Okay, every state in the union should be a shall issue. Right. Well, D.C. lost, and California, New York, Illinois, Hawaii, they called up the AGs from there, called up D.C.'s AG and said, do not appeal this. Do not take it to the Supreme Court. Because they'll lose their ability to be may issue as well. Yes. And so that, honestly, I feel like that's what we need, is we need a... A precedent at the Supreme Court, right? Like the one in D.C., so you can get a concealed carry uh, in D.C. I just got um, another eleven congressmen trained two weeks ago to get their concealed carry permits in D.C. I've been doing that. I'm kind of like a Sherpa. <laughs> uh, when the freshmen, it was two sophomores and nine freshmen. Yeah, and I said, hey you want me to show you how you get your concealed carry I'll set up the training yeah and um, by the way Lauren Bobert is now the co-chair of the Second Amendment caucus with uh-huh. me 
she's the one who's from Colorado. Yep, yep. Uh, owns Shooter's Third Grill. district right over the hill here. Yeah. So she's the co-chair, and she helped set up that training after she got trained. She was the first one of the freshmen to get her concealed carry permit in D.C. Yeah. But you see, this would solve the problem. You know, if you could get concealed carry in California, New York, Illinois, most of the states that do concealed carry eventually become reciprocal. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and now, how did you get a D.C. permit when you're not a D.C. resident, even as a member of Congress? It doesn't matter. They lost the case so bad. Okay. That, 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 that they're allowing see, for non-resident or partial resident. And if you think of it, how could, let's say there was a Supreme Court decision or a court case like in D.C. Let's say California lost a case like that. Right. Or that New York lost a case in the Supreme Court and then it applied to California, Hawaii. They cannot constitutionally deprive somebody who's a non-resident from having the same rights as a resident right, to right. the Second Amendment. Right. There's just, it would be such a tortured legal construct to say that. So at that point, if every state were shall issue, you would effectively, I think, eventually get to where Leland Conway could carry in California, right. et cetera, et cetera. Because, see, that they'll still have requirements, but they can't be so onerous as to be a ban. Right. So California might still have 16-hour training requirement. That's what D.C. has. Right. Well, and I have to, when I carry in another state, I have to know the laws in that state because I might not be able to carry the same way. Right. You know, when I had my concealed carry in Kentucky, Kentucky's concealed carry is called a CCDW, Concealed Carry Deadly Weapon, which means if you can figure out how to hide nunchucks on your body, you can carry them. Mm -hmm. In Colorado, it's called a CHP, Concealed Handgun Permit, and it is only handguns. So you have to know, like, if, I, if I'm if i carrying my concealed nunchucks in Kentucky, I cannot carry my concealed nunchucks in Colorado. But I can carry my uh, Springfield 9mm, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I have no real huge issue with that, but I don't even understand how May issue hasn't been challenged at the Supreme Court because that is what you say. That is a de facto ban on actual bearing all arms. Keeping arms in my homes isn't bearing them. Bearing them is being out and about and being able to protect myself and my family. So every... St Every state that loses the case doesn't appeal it. So it's just not gone in front of the Supreme Court. It but how, to, what about people? Can people have standing? Can, can, can a human being in the state of California sue and take it all the way to the Supreme Court and say, hey, I, I was not given a permit because my, my sheriff is anti-gun and you know a, a, a citizen from San Francisco – where, you know, the May issue is definitely they're not going to give it to them. Why can't that happen, and why hasn't that happened? I don't know why it hasn't happened. But we it need it to happen. happen. There are some states that don't even respect the Heller decision, though, by yeah. the way. Right. Well, that would be what, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have an exhaustive list. But, yeah. well, the Heller decision became uh, tied to the states. It was incorporated to the states two years later in the McDonald decision, McDonald right. versus Chicago. Right. And they were tried by the same lawyer, Alan Gura, whose birthday is just a few days away from my birthday. <laughs> we're almost the same age. He's in D.C. Imagine that, winning two Supreme Court Second Amendment cases in your 30s. Yeah, wow. That's pretty big. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to figure out some way to get 
that challenge before. Because right now, there's no better time to strike, right? This, right. Even with the way that the Democrats are controlling most everything, they do not control the Supreme Court. And this is the time, if ever there was a time, to get a case that dealt with national reciprocity and shall issue versus may issue. Uh, and really, honestly, you'd almost national reciprocity, like you said before, would almost happen by default if you had shall issue in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got to move on to the CDC. Um, you have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is not uh, politics talking. Correct. You have caught the CDC in the act yes. of misinforming Americans. Correct. Explain. So uh, in December, the, the Louisville Courier-Journal asked me if I was going to get the vaccine because it was offered to congressmen early. And uh, I said, well, I don't think there's any benefit to the vaccine for somebody who's already had COVID, but I'll look into it. I thought I should, I didn't tell them I'll look into it. I thought I should look into this if (laughs) I'm saying it. Right. I need to know it. So I found a CDC study that came out. Uh, It was actually just a survey of the Pfizer trial. That came out on December 12th, and on December 16th, I'm reading it, and it said that the vaccine was greater than 92% efficacious across all age groups, races, ethnicities, sexes, and those with evidence of prior infection of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Okay. And I thought, wow. Wow. That's pretty profound. Right. I didn't think they tested for that. <laughs> right. 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 But it, I thought they excluded people who had COVID from the trial. So I, I dug deeper. I went one level down, and the FDA had published the Pfizer trial data, a summary of it. By the way, Pfizer, that's their intellectual property. They are not obligated to release all the data. Right. But the data they had released, I dug into that. It turns out... When they, when they collected like 40,000 people for the trial, it turns out they tested them for antibodies. And roughly 1,300 of the roughly 40,000 had evidence of prior infection. And they didn't kick them out of the study. They kept them in the study. There were roughly 650 in the placebo group and 650 in the vaccine group. Which is a, it's a small number, but you might be able to infer something from it. Well, after the first shot, 10 people in the vaccine group ended up getting reinfected, symptomatically reinfected with SARS-CoV-2. Okay. And nine in the placebo group got infected with SARS-CoV-2 symptomatically. Okay. Hmm. More people who, you know, again, it's just one more. It's 10 versus nine, but one more in the vaccine group. Right. got SARS-CoV-2 that had prior evidence of prior infection than in the placebo group. Right. But that's after the first shot. So let's look after the second shot, which is when, you know, that's their primary endpoint, seven days after the second shot. Turns out there was one in the vaccine group and one in the placebo group who got SARS-CoV-2, got COVID symptomatically, who had evidence of prior infection. So after two shots 
the, vac the Pfizer vaccine trial demonstrated no benefit. And after one shot, it demonstrated a slightly negative benefit. Now, uh, you know, that's uh, very few number. That, those right, a small few, number of people, right. That's a small number of people. Right. So, if you know, the kindest interpretation that CDC could make of that data is we didn't have enough people to right, decide. Right, right. Which, which I would err on that. I would say, look, we just don't know. Right. We don't know yet. They should have said that. Right. So I called him up, and I said, this is wrong. And I called up the director of the CDC. The problem is you're an MIT scientist. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that makes it difficult for them to, to oh, he's just a dumb congressman, doesn't know what he's talking about. Critical, I, I mean, I'm trained to think critically. Right. Okay. So I, I called him up, called up the director in D.C. Now, it's not the CDC director. There's a D.C. office and there's a Georgia office, but I'm talking to the director in D.C. Right. And this is the, they've got an office there that's meant to interface with the legislative branch. And I told her, I said, I think there's a mistake. And I'll tell you why I think it's important, because this will affect the distribution of the vaccine. We don't want people who don't need the vaccine or don't receive benefit from the vaccine taking the vaccine when there are those who might right. receive benefit who can't get the vaccine. She said, I'll have my top doctor look into this. So they call me up the same day. This is December 16th. And they said, you're right. In fact, they said, we're going to call you Eagle Eye Massey. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know how we missed this. We can, looked can, can over this. Can I interject this. here, though? Can I interject, yeah. though? Because it seems like they missed it on purpose. Because if they're taking and making the statement definitively. <laughs> well... Let's get to the okay. purposeful. All right. Sorry, sorry. There's no. There's in Backing my mind, out of my interjection yeah. and letting you don't continue. go down the rabbit hole yet. Okay. We're going to get there. Okay. Okay. We're going to go. <laughs> okay. I mean, this rabbit hole so big, an eighteen wheeler would fall in it. Okay. Okay. So they, they, and by the way, I'm characterizing it with them as a typo. Right. Like I don't want to impugn their motives. Sure. If they're willing to change it, if they're willing to fix it. Right. So they said, okay, we're going to call you Eagle Eye Massey. We, we looked over this. There, by the way, there are like 12, at least 12 authors on the paper. All of them have PhDs or MDs. Okay. And they said, this kind of just showed up at the last minute. We don't know how this got in the paper. Hmm. And um, by the way, I have these, I have all the phone calls recorded. Oh, good. I was going to ask that question, but so, I thought it might be too so much to hope. <laughs> but yes, you've got them. It's all recorded. Oh, it's awesome. So, oh, it's awesome. So, because um, I wanted, you know, to make sure I remembered it correctly. So, uh, they said, we will change it. We'll fix it. Okay, that's December 16th. I thought, I even tweeted something. I said, I have renewed faith in the CDC. I found a typo. I'm still being fair to right, them. Right, sure. And, and I'm to this day fair to them, but it's going to turn south here, my story. So um, I did not get the vaccine. I did not take it. I was It was offered to me. I did not take it. I'm not anti-vaccine, by the way. Right. Now, you've made that clear. In the last five years, I've had a hepatitis vaccine, a diphtheria, a tetanus vaccine uh, because I was traveling to India. Right. So I'm not anti-vaccine. And I'm just operating under the assumption that the Pfizer trial data is correct. Okay, 
knowing that they haven't released it all. Right. But that's all we've got to work with right now. So fast forward to January. It's roughly January, end of the second week in January. It's been a month since they said they would fix it. I'm talking to my daughter, who's 25, and she lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and she says, you know, I've got friends who are getting this vaccine who've already had COVID, and, you know, they're her age, 20s and 30s. Right, which, yeah, really. And they've already had COVID. How are are 20s and 30-year-olds getting the vaccine when we should be giving it to elderly only right now? (laughs) That's my question. So it turns out if you're an administrator for a hospital, you work in the back office. Okay. They don't, they don't, as far as I know, a lot of those people are offered the vaccine as if they were working in the emergency room. Right, right. They're considered frontline because they work for the hospital. Right. I guess the hospital doesn't want to pick the winners and losers. Okay, so there's people in the administrative functions in the hospital who can get them. There are teachers who can get the vaccine who are young. There are administrators at the school who aren't even going into the classrooms who are able to get them who are young. And so I'm finding out that here in Kentucky, by the way, uh, uh, my wife's parents and and my mother, they've gone and got the vaccine. But it's because my wife was on the ball in the case of her parents. And as soon as it was available, she went online and signed them up. Okay. But there were people like a day later who weren't able to sign up because there there just weren't enough for everybody that wanted to get the vaccine. So I'm hearing about 75-year-olds, 80-year-olds in Kentucky who want the vaccine and And can't can't get get it. it. And And I'm also hearing about 30-year-olds and 25-year-olds who've had COVID, recovered, they're healthy, they're not at risk, and they're taking the vaccine. I'm thinking, this is not right. So I, I said something about it on social media, and people pointed me to the CDC website. And I go to the CDC website, and there's they haven't fixed the typo, the, the typo, the quote <laughs> typo that made it in at the last minute that nobody saw, and they have no idea how it got there. Hmm. But now it's a month later, and they haven't fixed it. So I call him back up, and I say, "I'm really disappointed here." Oh, by the way, they they went, they did a webinar. This is Eagle Eye Massey here. Yes, <laughs> Eagle Eye Massey calling. <laughs> and I noticed something else. Now, by the way, I don't think they're going to take my calls anymore at no. CDC. <laughs> uh, I, I noticed, I went online, I, I saw there's a webinar they did where the same top doctor I talked to, uh, who admitted it was uh, wrong, asks another top doctor in a webinar, and the other top doctor says, oh, yes, we, we've, uh, the trial data shows that there's a benefit. So you should go ahead and get vaccinated, uh, even if you've recovered from SARS-CoV-2. But the trial data doesn't it show doesn't that. It doesn't show that. And, they, and this doctor had, in, in the timeline, she had already admitted to me that it doesn't show that. Yet she's participating in a webinar where they're spreading it. That was in December. January, their website still got the wrong thing. So they say, okay, we'll fix it this time. We really will fix it this time. But they they changed the wording, and they didn't fix it. They changed the wording to be just as misleading, if not more misleading. What does it say now? It says that um, 
the trial data showed that it's efficacious for those with and without prior evidence of prior infection. Is that because you had nine and ten? <laughs> they say with and without. The reason they can say that, I guess, is if you average the 1,300 cases into the 40,000 cases, the efficacy goes from 95% down <laughs> to 92% because you're averaging 1,300 right. zeros right. Right, into right. a big number that's 95%. That, so I, so you're taking, the, you're taking data about how, that you know and you're putting it in with data that becomes more murky. Right. And saying that it makes that data better. Right. When it would fact, be like you just saying watered it down. Right. It would be like saying you had thirteen hundred Asians in the trial. And uh, the, and you found out that the vaccine didn't help Asians at all. Right. And so but in your report you wrote up that it's ninety two percent efficacious whether you're Asian, African American a Caucasian or Latino. Right. Because knowing, you watered down the data knowing right. that the data shows that it doesn't. Right. Right. Wow. So that's the current state of play right now. Well, that's, and, and, and let me just kind of broaden this a little bit so people understand why this is important. It isn't just a typo. Right now, there, you know, over the last month, we have people that are advising the CDC that have actually suggested that we should use race as a factor in giving out the virus to help equalize healthcare, as opposed to trying to save the most number of lives we can by not factoring in race or socioeconomic status or anything like that and starting with the most vulnerable. And the way we should do this is go with the most vulnerable. So why what you found makes a difference is because you have, as you said, young people who've gotten the virus and recovered from it taking a vaccine which should have been used for a 70 or 75 year old that's that's the bottom line and it's affecting how those supply lines are working that's the bottom line and the cdc which is supposed to be the government's voice on on vaccine and disease control is knowingly and willfully misleading the public about what the pfizer trial data said right now they may someday get data from another trial right. that would support what, they're, what they want to say. But the Pfizer trial data does not support that. In fact, they wrote it properly for the Moderna. But I haven't, I've, I've, I'm all, I don't want to quote this because yeah. I don't know 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure I heard a scientist saying, we know that the vaccine provides some protection but the stronger protection against the vaccine is natural antibodies. Against the virus, yes. Sorry, against the virus is natural antibodies. So, in, in other words, giving the vaccine, the last people who should ever get the vaccine, even if it's efficacious, let's use that word, is still young people who've had the virus. They're the last people that should be in line because they survived it, they recovered from it, and they have the antibodies which are stronger than whatever protection the vaccine gives them. If they should get it at all. If they should get it at all, they should get they it They should last. be the last people on the planet. Right. To get it. Right. And uh, now the CDC on their publicly facing website has said that if you've had it, you could wait 90 days. Right. And you and when we when you take into account that we've had 30 million cases in America, that becomes a massive 
right slowdown oh, of the vaccination process. 30 million who know they've had it, right. which means it's about 100 million they estimated back in November, December. So really, shouldn't we just do a quick antibody test and There's, then give the vaccine? There is a doctor, uh, and I retweeted this story, who's saying that's what makes common sense. He's And he's saying it because there is a risk of uh, uh, adverse reaction to the vaccine. So his patients, uh, he thinks he's doing them the best best service by having them take the antibody test. By the way, the antibody test can be done on the same equipment. So I'm told that does other types of blood work. It's automated. Okay. It's not. There's no backlog in antibody tests because so many labs could do it. Right. As, as opposed to the COVID test. And by the way, the antibody test is more reliable than the COVID PCR test. Right. You're not amplifying it. In fact, they, they test to get the titer level. They test your blood against a, a standard test. Then they dilute it and see if it still shows up. Then they dilute it again, and they do a certain number of dilutions, not amplifications, right. to see what your titer level is mm. when they do the antibody test. But that's what they should – that's my opinion. I'm not a doctor, but I'm telling you what a doctor has said, right. and it just seems to be common sense. What do you but think? the CDC, they want everybody to get the vaccine. And if you think about this, if 100 million people skip out on the vaccine and – the government's reimbursing $50. That's my guess. I don't know if that's mm, per that's, dose. Okay, that was going to be my question. What's the motive? Yeah, So, but $50 times $100 million is $5 billion. Yeah, that the health industry doesn't get. That they don't get, that might be care, that might not need to be given. And then you'll hear the arguments, well, wait, there are different variants, and just because you recovered from one variant doesn't mean you'll you have immunity to another variant. Yeah, but we don't know if the other variants are protected from the vaccine either. That's correct. We have no clue. <laughs> right. In fact, there's no reason to think they would be necessarily since the vaccine is based on the the first variants. Yeah. Now, they're saying they could later create vaccines that track those variants. My God, we're going to have to take 27,000 vaccines a year. <laughs> Because that viruses will do what viruses do. They they mutate. And when they mutate, they often become less deadly because they have no interest in killing us. They need us as hosts. Right. So over time, <laughs> here's the thing that really baffled. Because now what we're headed towards is I just saw a story. I, I sent it to myself this morning. The CDC, uh, the director. Let me see. Uh, where is it? Uh, Fox News had a post. That the Delta CEO, Delta Airlines, I guess it is, is uh, pushing back because the CDC is floating the idea of basically having airlines require passengers to have a COVID passport. In other words, prove they were vaccinated or prove they're negative before they could fly. I mean, that's what we're careening towards, isn't it? I mean, it's this one size fits all. Um, Everybody do what we say, submit or be damned. I mean, that's the scary part to me is we're in this sort of collectivist mentality right now, this sort of herd mentality, and all the sheep are running off the cliff. And I, I was called a flat earther the other day because I posted a New York Times article that said some people were having blood disorders after the virus, and they don't know why. 
And I posted, all I said was, I'm going to just leave this right here. And then below that, and I'm surprised Facebook didn't ban me again. Right below that, I said, take vitamin D, zinc, and quercetin, exercise, cut out processed foods and sugar. That's what I said. All I said was, I'm leaving this right here. Take vitamin D, C, uh, take vitamin D, zinc, and quercetin, exercise, cut out sugar and processed foods. And somebody called me a flat earther and a denier of science for posting a New York Times article that said that. And then just telling people to do something that doctors will tell you now is proven to mitigate the effects of COVID. This is crazy. By the way, I do want to mention that I did see two studies at the end of January that say that if you've already had COVID and you get one dose of the vaccine, your antibodies go up. They spike. Okay. Is that a good thing? Well, I don't know. It doesn't. Really, if you if you put an invader in your body, you would expect your antibodies to go up. Right. I don't think it's uh, it doesn't prove any sort of efficacy. Right. It just proves that if you do something to your body with the vaccine, you can see that your body reacts to the vaccine. Right. Right. Not that it not that it gives you any extra protection from COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But I, those are the kind of studies that you're going to see published. By people who've worked for Pfizer, right, or people that are funded by the CDC, they're trying to now. I think they're they're doing science backwards. They're yeah. doing political science. They're yeah. starting with what they want, and now they're trying to create the science to Behind support it. it. Yeah. That that's it's a lot like global warming. I I'm sick and tired of being called a science denier for asking scientific questions because science isn't final. It never is. It never is. Listen, I know you got to run. I, w- I want to give you the kind of last word on all of this. Is there anything, you know, kind of bringing all this together? Why should people be very, very concerned about what the CDC is doing here? And what are you most concerned about? Because the, it doesn't feel like common sense is ruling the day at, at any point in how we've been handling COVID. Well, if they're willing to lie about this, what yeah. else are they lying about? Because this is cut and dry. This is not even debatable. Go get the the vaccine trial data. Go listen to Cheryl Atkinson. She, uh, she did an investigative report on this where she plays the phone calls that I recorded. Mm. I gave her access to the phone calls, and she mm. plays them. So uh, don't uh, you don't have to trust me. You don't have to question my credentials. I don't even need credentials. The, I'm... I am providing all of the information and pointing people to the information that they need to figure out that the CDC is misleading people. So here's what concerns me. If they're, if I can prove that they're misleading people about the Pfizer vaccine trial data, what else right. are they willing to be misleading people about? They've got, they start out with an agenda and then they go look for the science and then they get some complicit compliant PhDs and doctors to sign their names to these papers to give them the imprimatur of of science. But they are practicing political science at the CDC, and this right. is dangerous. Right. So I would just say, listen to your doctor uh, before you listen to the people at the CDC. And then there are some doctors that aren't, haven't looked at the trial data. Right. There's some that just listen to the CDC. If you've got the right doctor, the doctor is thinking for him or herself. Right. Like your doctor that says, you know what? I'm going to test them for antibodies before I give them the vaccine because those people should be at the back of the line. Yeah, that's right. And so 
you know, they're I'm not anti-vaccine. I said that before in this podcast. Yeah, neither am I, by the way. I need to say it again. I'm a yeah. vaccine realist. Yep. Uh, when they when they were vaccinating me up, giving my booster shots or whatever to go overseas to India, I had a, they had a flu vaccine laying on the table. They're getting ready to stick that one in me too. <laughs> and I said, "What's that?" They said, "It's a flu vaccine." I said, "Is there a flu outbreak in India?" And they said, "No." I said, "Then don't give me the shot." Right. I right. don't like. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna evaluate the risk. And if there is any risk, there has to be an option. Yeah. And uh, that's just the way it is. It's got to be that way. Fauci is not. That guy is a fraud. Yeah. A quack. Yep. A political scientist. And he loves the limelight. And if, if this whole problem goes away, his limelight goes away. So he has a vested interest in this problem continuing as long as possible. So to this day, I'll never understand why Trump let... Fauci and Burks run around. Yeah. Burks, by the way, resigned sort of in disgrace after she got caught going to Thanksgiving. <laughs> Don't travel. <See> yeah. Ya. <laughs> and and uh, Ron DeSantis, he's a, the governor of Florida, a friend of mine. I talked to him about a month ago. He said he banned Fauci and Burks from <laughs> Fauci and Burks from Florida. That's awesome. <laughs> now, what he what he meant, I think, is that he didn't allow any of the state employees to meet with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they can obviously come down to Florida and enjoy the beach, but they can't meet with anybody in the and state Florida's government. Florida's doing just fine. Florida is is doing great, and they're and I think you're going to see that was the, the model that should have been used all along yep. once, we, once we understood. Yep. I understand reacting to the unknown and preparing for the worst case, but once you get some parameters around this, yep. you go on with life, you manage risk, and you'd never... I would never trust the CDC after yeah. this experience. We could have mass-produced tests that cost a dollar to make that are 100% effective at telling you, yes, you have COVID, and maybe not quite as effective at telling you that you don't. But at least if you if it was 80% effective, you would have had 80% of people with COVID staying home. And that alone, for a buck, over-the-counter at CVS, uh, That's right. would That's have changed the dynamics. And we could have done that nine months ago. And you take one every morning, and that would have been enough to slow the spread. Yep. And if Flatten you're going to if you're going to do a stimulus or, or a bailout to individuals, why would you give it to somebody who's got a government job and hasn't missed a yep. paycheck? Damn straight. Yeah. Would, but you could have done a program for people that had to miss work or felt it was prudent to miss work because they had a COVID test that showed they were positive. You could have, you know, helped society by helping those people stay home right ones that needed to and you would have needed a test and surely if we had taken all of our national labs and all of the technology we have we could have come up with that test yep if this is a virus that you can spread from now we're told six feet isn't far enough <laughs> that that you could spread it from 30 feet away across the room then surely we could figure out from your saliva or something that you've got this in your body right yeah, 100%. But, All right, I got to let you go. Uh, we love you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time today, and uh, keep keep up the fight for freedom, my friend. All right, will do. Thanks, Leland. All right, that was, that was a heavy one, guys, uh, from the Second Amendment to the CDC misinforming you about things. And I, I the question the question rings is a lot, there's a lot of money for the medical industry on the line here. And so if you're looking for motives for why we'd be misled on this, there it is. So you, you combine that lot of money – and the question of what, if they lied about that, then what what else have they lied about? 
And, you know, like I said, I was I was accused of being a flat earther for asking questions. When you when you're at a point where you're accusing people of being a flat earther because they ask questions. That that's the collectivism that we're seeing in America today, and it's it's frightening. So anyway, all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. We love them. They help make this uh, labor of love podcast possible. Um, and guys, I don't talk about businesses I don't fully support and haven't worked with or researched greatly. And not only did I research Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, but I actually worked with them. They did our kitchen and our master bathroom. And I'm confident that when we sold our house in Louisville to move to Colorado, it sold in less than a day. I'm confident that the beauty of our kitchen and master bathroom were a big part of why it sold in less than a day. So if you're looking for your dream kitchen, these are your guys, Michelle, Kelly, George, they're the designers on staff at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If you're a designer, or excuse me, if you're a a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they've also got beautiful, affordable, quality cabinets in stock. And you can see them on their website at Louisville Louisville Cabinets and Countertops.com. It's the easiest website in the world to remember, right? Louisville Cabinets and Countertops.com. It's just the name of the business, .com. (laughs) Super easy. Um, You can also give them a call. Uh, 502-930-3304, or they'd love to see your smiling face in the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane, um, right on the border of Oldham County and Louisville. So if you're in Louisville, Oldham County, or southern Indiana, this is your place. Uh, So Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Thanks to JP Web Design and Dynamics Audio Productions in Lexington, Kentucky, for their help with the audio of this program. Thank you very much to our co-executive producer, Cameron Mills, who doesn't do much of squat, but we love him anyway. Um, he was on a recent episode uh, about saving pets and animals, and and I want you to go listen to that. It was episode 157, so check that out. You can find us on Twitter. It's at Leland Show and at um, uh, at Zone Disruption, and on Instagram it's at Great Lelando and at The Disruption Zone. Guys, we're a free download at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Please subscribe for free, download us, and please on each of those outlets, whichever one you get us on, please leave us a five-star review. That is so helpful, and it promotes the podcast. If you want to grow the podcast audience, you can help do that by putting a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because that makes Apple recommend us to more people and our audience grows. So anybody that would do that for me, I really appreciate that. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I am Leland Conway. This is The Disruption Zone.